Good morning, Newcom. We are so glad that you're here with us this morning. We look forward to worshiping with you. Please join me in the call to worship. God of Abraham and Isaac, help us follow our forefathers and journey beyond the familiar, leaving behind the comfortable for the unknown. Though our sense of wonder has grown tired, give us courage to trade in worn paths and break in fresh trails with you. Jesus, our Messiah, remind us always of the promise of your kingdom, emerging around us, in us, and through us. Give us profound trust that you are stronger than any storm. Supply provision for every missed meal. Heal all that is broken and give sight when we fail to see. Spirit who is mystery, make us aware of the sacred in every single element of life. Renew our confidence that you continue to reveal yourself daily and inspire our obedience in following you. People of grace, it is time to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We step forward together in the name of the great I am. Amen. New community, join me in this corporate prayer. I will read the whole prayer, and I'd ask you to join me in reading the bold text. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will be, or there will my servant be also. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life, will lose it. But, ever, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. New community, welcome. We are glad you are here. Uh, for those of you who do not know, I get to have a really fun conversation today with my dear friend, Greg Conley. And if you do not know Greg, he is one of our elders. Uh, he is fantastic. He's been a small group leader with his wife 
since basically you guys started coming to New Community. I mean, a little mm-hmm. bit after. Mm-hmm. They have the cutest little girl named MJ. And I actually had the pleasure of meeting Gray Conley when he was a cute little freshman in high school because I was a Young Life leader and he was attending North Central and he's always just been an incredible person. So today we are continuing our series on Jesus and we are talking today about the term follow me and what it means when Jesus says to follow me. And today the setup is going to be a little bit different in the sense that we are not just going to be giving a talk back and forth, but it's going to be a conversation. Um, but you're kind of coming into the conversation about halfway through, or yeah, <laughs> we've been talking about fair. this for a while. Uh, uh-huh. And so we're just continuing the conversation uh, back and forth. Um, we started talking about this last December, January, and here we are. Yeah. So it's been a really fun conversation, and I would encourage you to not let this be the end of it, but the start of it for you and your groups, with your family, any of those people. So before we start, though, we um, are going to take communion today. And a lot of times at New Community, we will do communion maybe at the end of the service or during worship. Uh, but today we thought, as we were talking about what it means to follow Jesus, we would start our time in taking communion together. Um, and Greg and I have grown up in different, with different experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in a Nazarene church. Greg grew up in the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. and. I love New Community because we bring in a ton of different perspectives and a ton of different uh, values and things that are important to us. And so I've shared a lot about communion in the past, and I would love for today, Greg, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us in the community of what communion has meant to you and how it's evolved. And um, you'll just take take us through this time. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, everybody. Um, thanks for allowing me to be with you. But um, yeah, so... Communion is interesting because, um, like Julie said, I grew up Catholic, and um, one of the things that I still hold pretty dear about the Catholic faith generally is is the degree of reverence um, that's practiced in in just about every part of the Mass. Um, and there's various advantages and disadvantages of that, but but um, in my kind of stepping away from being an, an every week Mass attendee. Um, the thing that I've held on to is is still trying to think about things kind of in an elevated, reverent way, and then blend that reverence with, um, like the intimacy that I feel relationally with with the people that I practice my faith with in Yukon. And it it has come to a place where I feel a deep sense of connection uh, with with God, and in, in that Jesus asked us to practice intentionally with a degree of reverence. Um, the Lord's Supper when we meet together. But I think that the part that that new community gets right uh, is the intimacy and the importance and the emphasis on the relationships of who you're practicing this with and that 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 sense of community is just as important as the reverence that goes into the elements and kind of thinking about what Jesus intended that way and that one without the other I think misses parts of, of what communion is intended for. So high degree of reverence because uh, you know, we're talking about something that honors the sacrifice that Christ made for us, but also a high emphasis on sharing that with the body of believers together. Mm-hmm. And that kind of blending has been has been really important to me. So yeah. has that how has that played out for you during COVID? We've not been able to see people and um 
obviously you're not taking, well, maybe you are taking communion every morning, but I, I know this. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> so how does this look today when we are, I mean, you and I are in the same room right now, but the, our community is all in there. We're all in our own homes. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I think honestly, um, Julie, you will laugh at this, but part of it is, part of it is just kind of lamenting the loss of, um, he said I would laugh because Greg <laughs> Greg Conley is known at Newcom for as the lament guy. I think he I've done lament. three sermons on laments and it when Julie called me asking me <laughs> if she would if we could teach together, I was like, Oh, cool. So we're doing a lament sermon. She's like, No, 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 it's gonna be different this time. <laughs> Very exciting. This is kind of his trial. Yeah, 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 yeah. We may go back to we'll lament. See if, yeah, we'll see if I get another shot at it. Um, yeah, no, I mean I, I just sent a, a message to our small group this week just talking about how much I miss uh the togetherness and the kind of the deep meaning that those relationships have for Brittany and I, and um, that in a lot of ways is what communion represents to me um, because we're pursuing Christ together. And so honestly, I mean, I don't have like this really good answer for how I've pursued communion hmm. in COVID. I, I don't, I don't think that I have all that well. Um, it's been trying to make the best of engaging with community in our small group and in our church in the ways that we can, knowing that this isn't forever. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't actually have a really good answer for you. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I think that's- That's true. That's the <laughs> reality, yeah, that's where so, we're at. Yeah. Uh, with that though, I do wanna remind us that we are, we are apart physically, mm -hmm. but we are gonna enter into this time together as a community. Mm -hmm. And so I think as, um, that's been an important shift that I've learned in my life to know that there are a lot of witnesses. There are people around us there. Just because I'm not seeing those people doesn't mean that they are not loving me or supporting me. Mm -hmm. Or, um, I mean, community looks different at different seasons and different mm -hmm. times. And this is just one of those times. Yeah. So um, yeah. at home, if you have not had a chance, grab something really quick, either some bread, juice, or wine. And we are going to just enter into communion together. Um, I won't offer it to you. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> but I... Um, will say this so if anybody who's participating with us will take some bread new community this is christ's body broken for you and greg this is christ's body broken for you if you'll take your wine or juice or whatever you have uh, greg and new community this is christ's blood shed for you Sorry for chewing into the microphone. <laughs> um, Greg, do you want to just pray for us yep. this time? And yeah. Do you like how I did that as you just put so that I don't have to chew and pray? Mm -hmm. You're yeah. welcome. Smart. Mm -hmm. Father, thank you for, for this time um, together. Thank you for Julie and thank you for new community and all the people that are a part of it. Sassy, you be with us as we discuss who you are. I ask your spirit um, speak through Julie and I and it be deeply present with all the people who are participating um, in this service, despite the fact that it's not physically together. We're grateful for you. Um, and we ask and pray that you bring um, some degree of normalcy to us soon, where we can gather in a way that is honoring to you and is also safe for our, for our brothers and sisters. We love you. Amen. Amen. So... 
like we said, we get to talk about what it means to follow Jesus and what Jesus means when he says, follow me mm-hmm. over and over. Over and over. <laughs> um, so as we jump in, I think one of the things that stood out both to Greg and I as we were uh, looking over this and reading through the scriptures is just the sheer number of times that Jesus says, follow me. And um, I think as I have been thinking about it and as we've been talking, I think that's probably been the most impactful um, in this conversation because it shows me the level of importance that Jesus has placed on this mm-hmm. idea of saying it, follow me, follow me, follow me. And mm-hmm. he's inviting people into this. Um, and I have noticed that throughout the scriptures, when something is said more than once, it's usually meant you should pay attention. We should probably pay yeah. attention to it. <laughs> and so if you look at the gospels, I think it's in there like 13 times at least. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of different ways throughout scripture that uh, Jesus or other authors are referring to following Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so we thought as a community and as a staff and elders that this would be an important subject to talk about because um, following Jesus can look different to a lot of people mm-hmm. is what we have found out and mm-hmm. seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but what? But one of the things that I love is that uh, when you read through the scriptures, I'm going to read through a couple of the verses when Jesus says to follow me. And um, we have just kind of noticed a couple of things throughout this. So I'll start by reading the scriptures. Uh, Luke 9.23 says, uh, and he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke 18, 22 says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Matthew 9, 9 says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And then Mark 1, 17 says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make and I will make you become fishers of men. So these are just a few of them. Um, but one of the things that I love about this is that Jesus, in all of this, he is saying this to a bunch of different type of people. Like it's not mm-hmm. just the same type of person mm-hmm. that he goes and finds. It's over and over. It's somebody different. There's a tax collector. There's an anti-government zealot. <laughs> there's Who would hate the tax collector. Who would hate the tax collector. Yeah, totally. And, and he's saying, follow me and come into my fold. Like all and of us. Get along, please. Yeah. <laughs> get along, please. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, and in every invitation, it's an action required. It's an, it's an invitation to actually follow Jesus, to do something, not just not just believe, which I'm not knocking on believing, but like it's follow me physically, leave what you are doing and come with me and do what I do and follow me. Can you, can you, so as you read those, Julie, the mm-hmm. thing, and we've talked about this, right? The thing that we notice is that there's like each command is slightly different, mm-hmm. but maybe is underneath the same umbrella. Um, can you unpack that a little bit? Right. Yeah. This is uh so I would encourage you all, actually, to even just go through the go through the Gospels and go through each one of these mm-hmm. and look at who it is. Um, but what we have found and discovered in our conversations is that every single time that Jesus is saying, follow me, he is asking that person to leave something behind and to follow him. And for that person, it is diff- it's different for each person, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. to take up your cross and follow me for Greg is going to look different than it is for me because... Greg struggles way more than I do with everything. A lot no. more. <laughs> no, no, no. no, we all have different struggles and we all have things that get in the way of us and Jesus. So I have my things that get in the way of my relationship with Christ. 
and Christ would ask me to leave those things and follow him. Mm -hmm. And in the same way here, over and over, he is saying, deny this. To the rich man, he's saying, sell all those things because for that person, that is getting in the way of him following Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, I think where we fall in, and I know I have in my own life, is I oftentimes will compare myself and look at you and be like, okay, well, he's doing that, so I probably need to do that too in order to follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. Whether or not Jesus has even asked me to do that. or yeah. Yeah. And I will then either feel better or worse about myself based on um, my comparison to you, which right. I think that has been refreshing in this is realizing like it is an individual call because Jesus knows us, God made us, created us, knows us intimately and knows what we need and what we need to let, leave behind. Sure. Yeah, I mean, just in like a really direct comparison, the notion that it's not going to be um, the exact same thing to leave behind for each person, um, for the for the rich young ruler, uh, where Jesus said, "Go and sell all your possessions." Hmm. But when he called Zacchaeus, he said, "Pay back the people you wronged." But he didn't say, "Give away all of your money." Hmm. He said, "Pay back the people you've wronged." So for Zacchaeus, it was the fact that he was manipulating and wronging people mm -hmm. for his own profitable gain that Zacchaeus needed to let go of. For the rich young ruler, it actually was the physical money. And so Jesus knew that discrepancy and then gave different commands to each one of them. And so uh, noting that difference is important because it's more about faithfulness than it is about the exact same task. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. And um, I think a lot of times when we think about following Jesus, uh, we can focus on maybe like the emotion of it and the feeling of it and feeling good. And it's this beautiful thing, which it is, mm -hmm. it absolutely is. But I think sometimes we then tend to push aside the, what do I actually need to do to right. do this? Yeah. Um, and obviously, we don't want to become so action-oriented that it's the grace is out. <laughs> like it, right. it is this give and take throughout all the, all the scripture. We're always living in that tension. Yes. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of Greg, one of the things that I found interesting in our conversations, like I said, we started talking about this in December, what we were going to talk about for this day. Um, then we started talking about it. We were continuing to talk about this through mm -hmm. January mm -hmm. and. Uh, we had a conversation just shortly after the riots at the Capitol. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that, I, like I just have this vision um, so vivid in my mind during that time, and I was so angry mm -hmm. and so frustrated with this, but uh, the image of there being a Confederate flag in the Capitol next to or close to, at the same realm, a sign that says Jesus saves. Mm -hmm. And I think as we were having this conversation and talk about what we should focus on, I think one of the things that has stood out is that uh, why, yes, Jesus calls us all and calls us all to leave certain things, and he calls us in different ways, in mm -hmm. a sense, but so much damage has been done as well in the name of Jesus, mm -hmm. um, and so much hurt, and um, following Jesus has been used as a weapon in mm -hmm. some ways, and so I guess, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on why, why does it look so different <laughs> How can that be happening, right. <laughs> that there's a sign that says this um, in the midst of also oppressing people? Yeah. Um, and why does that seem so different? I mean, what have, what have you thought about that? Yeah. No, thanks for the softball, Julie. Yeah. It's a great <laughs> no way to get started. <laughs> Follow me. Greg, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of like one of the great questions and in, in, um, kind of the black marks is on the church in history is that oftentimes... Christian language has been used and co-opted by people seeking power and engaging in 
ways that were not uh, the way that Christ calls us to engage. Um, I mean, it's interesting, and uh, we haven't, we didn't talk a ton about this specifically, but um, Jesus was, was born into an occupied state, and all of his followers expected him to be a military messiah that would overthrow the Romans. And at no point did Jesus like make a power grab in order to resist Roman rule. In fact, he allowed the Romans to, to crucify him. And his, the way that he was elevated was the defeat of death and resurrection, not a military, uh, it wasn't military might. And so I think that we have to be wary of power grabs associated with the church always. Um, but the thing that I would say is that if we're going to accurately think about how to engage our faith and how to engage the scriptures and how to kind of make some um, distinguishing kind of statements and understand things, we have to understand how the scriptures, in my opinion, are, are kind of designed to be read, right? Hmm. And I would say that um, that when we look at the throne uh, in heaven at the end of time, Moses is not going to be sitting on the throne. Paul is not going to be sitting on the throne. Isaiah is not going to be sitting on the throne. Uh, Thomas Jefferson is not going to be sitting on the throne, right? Uh, Jesus is. And in light of that, we have to acknowledge, like, he's the guy. And all of Scripture is pointing to him. And we see this all over the Old Testament in the law. We see it in the prophets and obviously in the New Testament, when we have the Gospels, but we also have the letters and the writers are pointing back to Jesus, right? So um, we have to acknowledge that there needs to be a specific way that we read the scriptures that, that kind of shows this. Mm-hmm. I would advocate for, uh, for actual uh, a hierarchy, so to speak, so that we would take the Gospels and the teachings of Christ and that we would, that we would elevate those over and above some of the other teachings that are in that are in the scriptures, um, the book of Hebrews uh, actually says that Christ is the clearest articulation of God's character, and that we can know who the Father is by understanding who the Son is. If we know everything about who Christ is, and we know His character, and we know that because we've been steeped in in the scriptures that teach about Him, that helps us to understand how to engage in the world. Hmm. And it prevents us, or hopefully it prevents us, from engaging in the world in ways that Christ wouldn't. But my fear is that oftentimes, movements that co-opt Christian language might use Jesus' name, but know very little about who he was and how he engaged in the world. Hmm. And so, as a church, I think we need to do two things. We need to denounce things like violence in terms of violence being used as a power grab like we saw at the Capitol, right? We need to denounce that fiercely and suggest that that's not who Christ wants us to be. Mm-hmm. We have really good evidence of that throughout his life. But I also think um, that we need to teach this is how we should engage the scriptures as a preventative mechanism against those things and you know, allow us to understand how to operate in the world. Uh, that, is, that is a great, uh, just another little softball. Here yeah, <laughs> right here. Um, perfect. <laughs> no, I think one of the questions is, I mean, you bring up a great point because one of the questions that I hear over and over in a lot of conversations with people is, how do you read the Bible? Mm-hmm. How do you actually approach it? Why is it that the God of the Old Testament 
seems different mm -hmm. than who Jesus is sometimes in some situations mm -hmm. or why, how do I know what to listen to when sometimes it seems like maybe it's contradicting something that I've said before yeah. or, uh, and is that okay? Or does that mean that I don't think that the scripture is perfect? Right. <laughs> right. So are you, I mean, how do you, how have you learned to read the Bible and how do you practice that? Yeah. Uh, so a couple things. First, like I said, um, we always have to think about about Christ at the forefront. Now, the notion is that like somebody will immediately bring up the verse in Second Timothy that says all Scripture is inspired and good for and God breathed and good for teaching and rebuking, et cetera, et cetera, and say, well, you can't think about the Scriptures that way because it's all equal. And my challenge would be, no, I I can say, a that I think that all Scripture is God breathed and inspired and true, mm -hmm. and also say that the stuff in Matthew 5, when Jesus is teaching about blessed are the poor in spirit, or in Mark where he just says blessed are the poor and stops there, that's going to be more prevalent and more important than how we view reading Levitical law. Okay, And the reality is that we already do this. Hmm. Um, and so what we're advocating for is actually just articulating a bit of a hierarchy. But what do you mean that we already do it? Yeah, so it's a good question. I mean, so, Greg, are you saying that we can just throw out parts that we don't want to read? Because it would be a lot more convenient at times. Yeah, sure. Um, no, <laughs> I'm not If you have any that. issues with this, guys, go ahead. Greg Conley. Yeah, Kevin at new-community.com. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, no, I, it, so you got to walk this line carefully, right? Mm -hmm. um, the reality is we already do this. Uh, anybody that reads Deuteronomy 22, and which says, Deuteronomy 22, 11 says, don't essentially wear clothing of mixed fabric. So if you're wearing poly polyester right now, you're out. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Lululemon? Uh-uh. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I don't have any on. Right. Um, or, you know, for um, for anybody that has a pair of gold hoop earrings, you're violating uh, what we see in Timothy 2, 9 and 10, where you're not supposed to wear your hair in braids or, or adorned with gold jewelry, right? So we, we already take some of the things that are in Scripture and we elevate aspects of it over and above others. But oftentimes, we don't articulate that elevation. So what I'm advocating for and what, we're, what we've talked about and what we're advocating for is actually kind of like having a bit more of a structure to understand how to do that. So the first part of that I would say is that Jesus is the guy, always, always, always. The second part I would say is that we always have to do this in the context of community. Uh, because in the context of community, you have you have buffers where if I say, you know, I think we should totally ignore the entire Old Testament, Julie's going to say, Greg, we can't do that. I will say that. Yeah. Julie <laughs> loves the Old Testament. <laughs> I do. <laughs> and I would tell you we have to. Yeah, we have it. to yeah. acknowledge it. Right. Yeah. So what I'm not saying, and, and there are people that, that do say this, what I'm not saying is throw out the law and ignore it. And I'm not saying, say, for example, only look at Jesus and throw out things that are hard to deal with in Paul's letters. We have to view all of it. But that doesn't mean that we view it all with the same light. Right. right. And so we always have to look at these things and ask the question, like, how? what does that teach us about who Christ is? Right. That's kind of the litmus test. It's like, what does that teach us about who Christ is? Um, mm -hmm. You know, an example would be if we're looking at, say, some of the Levitical law that prohibits the eating of shellfish, for example. That seems crazy because, you know, we can go down to I don't, I don't know, red lobster and have a bunch of shellfish, I guess. <laughs> we'll go there after this. Right. <laughs> right. But at the time, 
God was making a provision for the health of the people, right? That there were um, that there were certain uh, types of animals that were they to be eaten, they were far less clean and would create far more illness. And so he was caring for his people by creating these prohibitions. Now, those things don't necessarily apply to us now because we have we have different preparation around food, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it tells us a bit about the character of God. And we can say, no, that lines up. God caring for his people that way lines up with who Christ is. So it's not like we just ignore that, but we view it in light of who Christ is in order to understand uh, how, our, how our Father cares about us. Yeah, no, that, I think one of the journeys that I uh, have been on over the past, well, my whole life, but really the past like five, seven years, uh, I mean, it, it's this, it's how do you read the Bible and how do right. you read the scriptures? And, right. um, and because it's so, I mean, like if you look at our history, so the, we are not in a new spot no. right, of people using Jesus, using Christianity no. to... Uh, for selfish gains, I, I myself, I'm sh- like, I, none of us are immune to this. Right. Um, and if you look at our history, it's actually really sad <laughs> in so many ways of the crusades and white supremacy, slavery, I mean, slavery. There are so many things, mm-hmm. um, where people have used con- scriptures from the old Testament or scriptures from here and to their own personal gain, mm-hmm. um, and in the process hurting and oppressing many, many people. Mm -hmm. And so this is not new and it's not going to be the last time. Um, It just is the thing that is happening right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love what you said, we have to denounce it. And then also I, what I have learned and I think what I struggled with for a while in my process was, okay, if this is, if, if God is for, I mean, it looks like if you read the old Testament, there's so many times where it's, it seems like God is for violence and Mm -hmm. God is for um, taking out entire, Mm -hmm villages of people, women, children, and mm-hmm. all these things. And that's what people have used to justify this. Mm-hmm. Um, and remembering that if Jesus says, Jesus was the reason, Jesus, wa- Jesus was the reason for the season. Is yeah, what that it, almost sounded yeah, like. It sure <laughs> did. I, was gonna say. <laughs> I am pretty sure I had a t-shirt of that growing up. Sure. Uh, but Jesus is the representation of who God is. And uh-huh. it was like, at that point, God was saying, you guys have it wrong. Like this isn't, you have a misinterpretation of who I am. And so let me give you Jesus because Mm -hmm. this is, this is who I am and this is what I'm about. And, uh, that freedom has allowed me to look at those scriptures and figure out again, like you were saying, how do, how, how does the old Testament point to Jesus? Mm -hmm. Um, how does Jesus explain (laughs) some of these things Mm -hmm. based on who he is and what he's about? And Mm -hmm. when I think about following Jesus, it is looking, um, that's the other, that was the other thing that we were talking about earlier is that uh, when Jesus says, follow me, all the things that Jesus is calling people to are things that are consistent to who Jesus is. Correct. Yeah. And so when we look at it in our own lives, I think that's a good litmus test of, okay, is Jesus calling me to do this or to give up this? Um, I don't know. And like you were talking about com- being able to talk about this with community to then say, is this in line with who Jesus is and mm-hmm. what Jesus was about? Is what I'm about to do or what I'm following and what I'm leaning into, mm-hmm. is that about the person of Christ or is that about something else that I've decided is about Christ? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I, yeah, so I appreciate that. So now that you've said that we can just throw out parts of scripture and that you don't believe in the Bible, <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke. You don't actually think that. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so yeah, so as we look at, uh, as we look at Jesus and as we look at, are these things that I'm leaning into consistent with who he is? Um, 
I think there's a few ways that, I mean, there's a lot of ways that we can do this, but one of the things that we had talked about is that you can talk about, does this, in following Jesus in this way, does it bring the kingdom of God here and now? Mm-hmm. Does this further the mission of Christ? Is this mm-hmm. a good witness towards people who don't know Jesus? Mm-hmm. Um, are we bringing healing? Are we bringing compassion? Or are we bringing hurt and pain mm-hmm. and pushing people away from Jesus? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in order to do that, I think you you look at, it's not just these actions of, okay, now I'm going to go and help at Shalom, which is great. Those mm-hmm. things are great. That is one way to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's in my finances. Am I doing this? In my relationships, in my vocation, my worldview, in my politics, in all of these things, the choices that I'm making and the word that I'm spreading, is it bringing the kingdom here and now? And I think that is one of the main, uh, just the main standards to look at um, to determine if what you're doing is following Jesus or not. Mm-hmm. Um and then through this, you can see when someone is claiming to be acting in the name of God, but actually isn't acting in Christ at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, another way is that if we are following Jesus, it is protecting the broader church from being co-opted from grabs of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which I think we've seen yeah, totally. <laughs> a lot of. And, and it's not just at this like national level, it's like at local at the local level 100%. and this is a daily thing yeah 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 i mean you, you talked about julie earlier how you uh he kind of felt sick we can kind of return to that imagery you described of a, of a confederate flag and jesus save sign mm-hmm. kind of in the same in the same frame um talk talk more about that what is it about that that kind of sickened you um i think i think what i've realized and I'm not saying this is right, but I have far less compassion, I think, for believers who do damage to people mm-hmm. than for non-believers who do damage to people. And again, I I, I acknowledge that I need to uh, be gracious to all. Sure. <laughs> um, and that I am not above this either. Like right. I make plenty totally. of mistakes. Yeah, um, yeah. I have just found that my blood starts to boil <laughs> and it rips my gut apart when, um, when people who are claiming to follow Jesus are doing damage and hurting others, because it uh, it destroys the kingdom here, mm-hmm. it hurts it, and it mm-hmm. pushes people away from Jesus. And I mean, I was on a walk with a friend a little bit ago who was saying just this, and she's a non-believer, and she was saying something like her and her brother were having a conversation about, wait a minute, what about all the people in our family who are claiming to follow Jesus? Like they go to church, and they're the people who say these th- they love God and all this, and they are. And, and they're living this life that are hurting all these people. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, and they're standing behind this. And I, and they were, they were just saying, I don't, that doesn't add up to me. It doesn't me. make sense. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then, so for her in this conversation, that is her image of Christianity. Right. Is people who hurt other people. Right. Yeah. And that is just like, aha. <laughs> so yeah. it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Because that's not who Christ was. Right? right. Right. And again, I'm not, I, I am not immune to this <laughs> myself. Like mm-hmm. I, and so, but it is just one of those areas that I found like that is what is so gut wrenching about that is that people see that and they're like, oh, cool, that's that's who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. When it seems when that is not at all who I believe Jesus is. Right. It's fascinating too when you when you think about the way Jesus engaged in the Gospels. Um, think about the way he engaged the woman who was caught in adultery. Hmm. Um, this woman was engaged in a sinful act, right, and mm-hmm. was was 
probably set up by religious leaders, but regardless was, was still engaged in something that the law taught against. And Jesus engaged her with compassion mm-hmm. and, and dignity. Still called her away from that sin, right? Said, go and sin no more, but, but had a, a huge amount of grace for her. And you, you compare that to the way that he engaged the Pharisees when the Pharisees were not caring for the people in their charge mm-hmm. in the way that, that Jesus perceived that the Father called them to. And he was extremely harsh. I mean, if you read the Matthew 23, you read all the woes to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's, it's like a real gut check for anybody in, in the church, especially in leadership, because it's a, it's a pretty significant call away from any sort of manipulation um, and any sort of leveraging their positions of leadership and influence uh, for power or for moving away from what, what Christ has for us. So yeah, totally. I think, I think you can make a really strong case for that. Again, by looking at Christ's character in the Gospels. Right. Totally. Right. Yeah. Um, so what are some other ways that you have seen this play out in your own life or um, where we're at right now in life? Yeah, I think, as you said, I mean, if I am to use Christ as a litmus test, and I want to make a, a little bit of a discrepancy here, um, you'll oftentimes hear folks kind of use this general God term, like, oh, what does God want? And I think that's fine. But one of the reasons why I talk so much and why we're talking so much about Jesus specifically is that in, in society, where we kind of have this blending of like, what people perceive God to be that's influenced by philosophy and Greek thought and kind of American tradition, using Jesus as a litmus test as opposed to God is a helpful discrepancy because we have the four texts of the gospel and all the rest of the texts in scripture that point towards the gospels. They give a very specific articulation of who Jesus is and how he engaged. And he's far more difficult to co-opt in terms of behavior Mm. than a general God figure is, right? So um, if I'm using Jesus as a litmus test for my life, it's incredibly challenging. I'm constantly going back to, man, am I I treating that person with enough compassion and grace? Am I um, living in a way that shows that I care about how how Jesus' kingdom is brought here now? It's incredibly challenging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a daily gut check for me. Um, yeah, so I mean, society, in terms of kind of like what we're seeing, I think, as you said earlier, we're not in a new place. Um, you know, you look throughout history, and there are incredible abuses of, you know, the Bible and, and the Christian flag or whatever for the sake of power, right? You look at, I mean, the, the Protestant Reformation happened because of all of the abuses of the Catholic Church. Um, and the power that they that they wielded in line with the government, right? And we have the Crusades, and we have using some of Paul's letters to advocate for slavery, and we have um, all of you know the 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 holding down of women when really we should have had women in leadership engaged in our churches for a long time. And um, there's all these different ways. I think the most prominent and most pressing way right now is this Christian nationalism that we're seeing. Mm. Um, Again, it's by no means the only way that the scriptures are being abused, but I do think that in terms of current events, it's the most prominent one. And why, what, what is dangerous about that? Sure, so anytime 
we mix aspects of non-Christian things with Christianity, then we start to get something that isn't Christianity any longer, right? And I think in a general sense in society, we see this syncretism between American ideals and things that are associated with um, patriotism and Christianity because we have this perception, or at least there is this perception in the United States that we, as a country, were founded on Christian principles or that we're a Christian nation or some, you know, explanation around, along those lines. Uh, and so it's uh, Christian nationalism as it's been defined, and there's been a, a kind of a new influx of um, sociological literature on this, kind of an, analyzing this uh, this idea, but it's, a, it's a, a fusion of Christianity with American civic life. And typically, one who would advocate for a degree of Christian nationalism, even if they wouldn't call it that, would you know, would believe that American, uh, the American nation is defined um, by Christian ideals and that the government should keep, take steps to keep things that way. Um, unfortunately, uh, what that means um, is that you, you get to a place where power becomes just as important and place in society becomes just as important as whatever those ideals are. And what we've seen uh, countrywide is that oftentimes Christian nationalist talking points center around like pro-life, anti-gay, anti-immigrant, God-given rights, um, an elevation of the Constitution to a sacred level uh, or to the same sacredness as Scripture, um, that when you combine this with a power grab can become incredibly divisive and can overshadow and cover uh, who Christ is and what, you know, what that, um, what his message actually was, right? Um, we, I mean, the book of James talks about true religion as uh, the caring for the widow and the orphan in their distress. The widow and the orphan aren't part of any of those talking points. Yeah. And so uh, I think well-meaning people without a deep-seated understanding of how to keep first things first, meaning Christ teaching specifically, are advocating for this, um, this version of an Americanized Christianity that is incredibly destructive. And when it gets focused on power through American civic life and through American politics, it gives up the core tenets of what it means to follow Christ. Hmm. So... I think the, the biggest concern for me about Christian nationalism generally is that it's, and, and the reason why it's worth labeling as something that's different than Christianity is that it's, it's an abuse of Christianity, is that what has been co-opted with God language or with a, a smattering of Old Testament language or maybe a little bit of the apocalypse, you know, a couple of scare tactics from Revelation, is that it, ultimately it's not rooted in the birth you know, the incarnation, the life and teachings, and then the death and resurrection of Christ, which is over and above the very top thing about what our faith is rooted in. And if you, if you separate Christianity from that, you have a, a hodgepodge of 
um, prophetic teachings in the Mosaic Law, which God sent us Christ because that wasn't working. It didn't work. Um, yeah. And we needed we needed a different articulation of his character, as you said before. Um, and so when you see something that's associated with power grab and sprinkles in Christian language to co-opt the church to support that power grab, that's why it's so dangerous. Because for people that don't, again, that don't have a deep-rooted understanding in who Christ is or don't know that, you know, maybe this verse in Daniel is not as significant to my daily life as a Christ follower as the Sermon on the Mount, if they don't have that kind of like litmus test, mm -hmm. they could be swayed into something like that right. and can participate in something something like the Capitol because they think that, you know, we're supposed to advocate for Christians being a part of the government life or whatever. Right. So I think it'd be really destructive and really dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, I think anytime, again, another anytime that in my own life or in any other life when I'm using following Jesus to gain my own position, a better position mm -hmm. or power mm -hmm. or greed. Mm -hmm. um, I'm probably not following, following Christ in that. Uh, I mean, Christ didn't do that. Nope. Christ was not elevating himself. In, nope. in, I mean, it was always, he was about humility and serving those in need. And, um, and that's what was interesting in my conversation with my friend as well, is she's like, I like, I thought, and she, I mean, she doesn't have a background. She didn't grow up in a church or anything. It's just kind of like what she has heard from things. She's like, I thought Jesus was the one who like touched the leper and like mm -hmm. was with people who were often not cared for in society. And I was like, yeah, you got it. Yeah. You know, and so it just, it's. Well, and what did he, what did he say to the leper after he healed him? Don't tell anybody about this. Right. <laughs> right. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. want to know. I don't want people yeah. to know about this. There yeah. was no, um, you know, Jesus symbol on a billboard or, or mm -hmm. kind of flexing of this morality. It was, it was quite the opposite. It was don't tell anybody yeah. about this. Yeah. Which I guess then could kind of bring us to what we were have kind of talked about as far as, um, so what do you do with it? Like, what does it actually cool? You guys have said, follow Jesus and yeah. you talked about a bunch of ways that it has been really unhealthy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so I think to sum up this conversation and to kind of think about it, one of the things that, you know, one of the things that a lot of people have shared with me lately specifically mm -hmm. is that they have had a really hard time actually opening their Bible mm -hmm. because they are discouraged and frustrated and don't know where to start, um, which is why I'm so glad that we had part of the conversation about how do you read the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think one of the things that we would encourage all of us to do, um, but especially if you're in a place where you are discouraged or um, maybe you're deconstructing your faith or reconstructing your faith. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage if you're deconstructing to also reconstruct. Yeah, make sure you don't leave it there. Yeah, don't stop sure. there. Um, to just start in the Gospels, mm -hmm. open up and just start reading John or any of them yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and sit in it and remind yourself and try and be in a place uh, with fresh eyes of, okay, if I could take away everything else that I've heard and learned and some of the stuff is great that you've heard and learned in the past, but if you could just sit down and pretend that you are reading this for the first time and all you are trying to do is figure out who Jesus is and what Jesus was about, mm -hmm. um, do that mm -hmm. and over and over and over until, and there's always going to be more to learn. Yeah. <laughs> like we never will arrive right. fully, which is the greatest part yeah. and also frustrating at times yes. when you want like a checklist. Um, but yeah, I sit in it and study and know and learn and 
have conversations about it. And it's why we are doing this sermon series is to mm -hmm. remind us who is Jesus and what is Jesus about. And when we say, follow me, when Jesus says, follow me, this is what that actually looks like right. because we know who Jesus is. Right, right. Um, yeah, if I could add one yeah. thing to that, I think. I'll allow it. Thanks, I mm -hmm. appreciate that. <laughs> uh, a kind of a telltale sign of, of of causes that would co-opt or would, would work to co-opt Christianity for, for power or for their own gain is oftentimes they would advocate very specific strategic action steps. This is the cause you need to think about. Mm -hmm. This is the thing that we're doing for the kingdom. This is the person we're voting for or whatever. And we're not going to do that. Because if we were to say, hey, you have heard this, here's actually what we need to be thinking about in terms of causes or in terms of specific checklists, like you said, we're not doing anything different than someone else who would co-opt um, who would co-opt the scriptures. We may advocate that, well, we think our causes are better, but that's what everybody says. Yeah. So yeah. instead of that, what we're saying is spend your time in the Gospels to learn what Jesus advocates for. And again, elevate the commands of the Gospels and the teachings of the Gospels over and above the rest of scriptures, not void of the rest of scriptures, but over and above them, knowing that if you have a, a choice between um, maybe some violence you read about in the Old Testament, or again, Jesus preaching about turning the other cheek in the Sermon on the Mount, you should probably go with Jesus, right? And that's, you know, that doesn't solve the tension. No. And by the way, Julie has all the answers on that. <laughs> yeah. So you can reach out to Contact her. Contact me. Yeah. <laughs> Got all the answers now. But if you do have to make a choice, I think that we're pretty comfortable saying that Jesus is the one that we would want you to lean towards. Mm -hmm. um, and so again, spending the time in the Gospels will help you develop uh, kind of an understanding for how to operate in a litmus test situation where you do have to decide like, okay, is this what, is this what God would have me do? Well, what does Jesus say? Right. Right. right because he is the represent the physical representation of who God is. Yes. Yeah. Hebrews one. Yeah. Yes. That is, that is who Jesus is. Yes. And so even though there is, I think that's what I've, I've gotten comfortable living in those tensions mm -hmm. because I can lean into, okay, I don't fully understand how this all plays out yet necessarily mm -hmm. with certain things, mm -hmm. but I do know who Jesus is and what Jesus is about. And right. so that tells me that I need to look more into that situation right. because um, that doesn't, if something's not lining up in my interpretation of like of partnering with that. Right. Right. Um, and then I think... I think the other, um, I guess the encouragement that I would love to give us is that the other part of this is, yes, we need to sit in the Gospels, we need to read, but we also have to remember that following Jesus is an invitation to action, mm -hmm. as we started out with. Um, and I personally will get overwhelmed sometimes and think, oh man, there are these big issues and these big problems, and um, not just in our nation, worldwide mm -hmm. <laughs> city, I mean... It's far bigger than us. Like, yeah. it's far bigger than the U.S. Right. And it's far bigger than Spokane. So I, I tend to be like, okay, if I'm going to follow Jesus, how do I solve all these problems and how do I bring this? And I'm reminded, and um, I love new community so much because I think what we are reminded is that we are to do our part in following Jesus right here and right now. And mm -hmm. some people are mm -hmm. called to go into other countries yeah. and other places. And we do that. And people within our own community have done that and yeah, will continue to do that. why we support global missions. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's huge and it's important. Mm -hmm. And 
that doesn't get me off the hook though. Like right. my stuff is right here right. and right now. Yep. And there was, uh, I recently read an article in Christianity Today um, by Tish Harrison. And I was encouraged by the last few paragraphs and mm -hmm. I just wanted to share it with our community because it actually reminded me of our community in so many ways. As I read it, I was like, oh, this is what we are trying to do and mm -hmm. what we are doing. And I can look around and see so many people doing this. Mm -hmm. And it also allowed me to take a breath and be like, oh yeah, this is what it's about. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is, the article itself was talking about the damage that Christian nationalism has done, but it ends with a question of what do we do now and how to repair the damage. But I think it speaks to more than just Christian nationalism. Mm -hmm. The article says this, we have to take up the slow work of repair, of reforming our churches around the deep, unchanging truths of the light of Christ. We must reconstruct communities where we can, where we can know and speak truth, serve the needy and the poor, love our neighbors, learn to be poor in spirit, rejoice in suffering, and witness to the light of Christ amid darkness. This work can be frustratingly small and local, under the radar, and away from the headlines. It will feel paltry and unimportant in the face of the raging nations and widespread ecclesial and national decay. It will be long, risky, and uncertain, but in that meek and humble place, perhaps, with the Magi, we can again find the small star that leads us to the true light of the world. And I love, I love the fact that it says it is slow mm -hmm. and it is hard and the work will be frustrating, small, frustratingly small and local. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what part of following Jesus is. Again, mm -hmm. it's unique to where you're at and what God is calling you to and what calling you away from mm -hmm. and what is getting in the way of your relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just love the image that it is action oriented and we are called to enter into it. And to me, that is one of the biggest parts about following Jesus is leaning into that, whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. And I have to, I have been reminded in my own marriage, even that the things that I'm convicted of are different than what my husband Brad is convicted of. And early on in our marriage, I thought, no, we all, we've got to be on the same page. And now I'm like, oh, that's really great and beautiful mm -hmm. because that's how we do the local and the slow, the work and the repair, because there's a lot of people who need Christ's love and right. I will reach somebody different than you reach right. and so on and so forth. And so all that said, I just, I, that reminds me of our community because I feel like our community of people, I feel like we all lean into this in a really, really beautiful way. So I would encourage us to keep going in that and keep leaning into it. But um, as we close, is there anything that you would love to just encourage the community with or share with them? I mean, it's just more of the same, right? Um, Jesus came in a specific time in history to a specific place in a quiet, humble, incarnational way. He didn't come with a bullhorn and a huge sign that said, hey, I'm here now, let's get moving, right? It was a slow uh, process that took place over 33 years, right? And that's the incarnational model is to do the work where you're at, in the community you're at, engaging people um, in the way that Christ would call you to. So just again, spending, spending time in the Gospels, knowing it so well that you feel like you have you have the requisite amount of, of time and energy spent to actually know who your Savior is um, so that we can model 
uh, model his work in our lives hmm. um, and, and can be able to say, gosh, you know what? I don't think that is his work when, when we're faced with that choice. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, Greg, thank you for sitting and having this conversation yeah. with me. It's fun. Um, you may get another chance to not talk about lament in the we'll future. We'll see. I'll cross my fingers. <laughs> <We'll see. laughs> I don't know. You did raise some controversial things. Yeah, oh, yeah. So. Big time. Uh, new community, we love you a lot. Uh, like we said earlier, we hope this is just the start of the conversation. We fully know we did not cover everything <laughs> at all and <laughs> um, what it means to follow Jesus. But these are just some of the themes that we kept that kept coming up in our conversation. Yep. And so we wanted to share them with you in hopes that it could spur on more conversation. Yes. Um, so call somebody, meet with your small group, talk about why, uh, what it means to follow Jesus in your life and in the life of the group. Um, but yeah, and what that means for new community as a whole. So we love you and we hope at some point we'll get to see you in person. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, eventually we'll get there eventually. All right, love you. New community, please join me in the benediction. New community, while so much of the road ahead is uncertain, the path constantly changing, we know some things that are as solid and sure as the ground beneath our feet and the sky above our heads. We know that God is love. We know Christ's light endures. We know the Holy Spirit is here, found in the space between all things. Closer to us than our next breath, binding us to each other until we meet again. Go in peace. Amen. <laughs>